I want the world to be at a point where when they say, I want to be this when I grow up, instead of just saying teacher or doctor, uh, they can say someone in technology, a technologist, a coder, a designer. Society's kind of trending that way. And we have so many problems where design and technology and coding will solve people's problems and not just allow them to be content consumers or technology users, but creators and makers, uh, because how else are we going to solve uh, today's problems if we don't apply these important concepts? You're listening to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary, here to deconstruct complex computer science concepts bit by bit and explain what the tech is going on. My name is Paolo. My name is Lynn. On this episode, we talk to Carrie Ma, a user experience and user interface design consultant at IBM iX. Today, we talk about what it's like working at IBM and how she developed her passion for design and problem solving. We also discuss her journey as a woman in tech and the challenges with working in the tech industry. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Carrie Ma. Welcome, Carrie, to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. So why don't we start off with a very easy question. Why don't you tell us, you know, who are you? What do you do? Yeah, I'm Carrie Ma. I'm a user experience and user interface design consultant at IBM IX. We're a hybrid digital agency and consultancy focused on partnering with enterprises to help them with their digital transformation journeys. Uh, Currently, I'm working on redesigning a website for one of the clients and it's been a lot of fun awesome so so cool so we have lots of stuff to talk about here let's sort of start at the beginning of your computer science adventure if you will when did you first know that you wanted to go into computer science I was super lucky. So I grew up with technology, uh, shared a computer with my sister, played video games with my cousin. But it was grade nine where I was invited to an event called Explore IT, where it introduces STEM careers to girls. Mm. And there I heard Ehud Sharlin, who is now the professor of the Human Robotic Interactions Lab at the University of Calgary, shared his students' research on HRI and let us play with these robotic dogs. At that point, I was really, really interested in what this field was, but had no idea what it was. Yeah. If you want to get people interested, just bring dogs, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Robotic dogs, too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In high school, I was picking some electives, and my friend asked me to take computer science with him. So there, I was also very lucky because not many high schools offered computer science. Mm -hmm. So I took it and fell in love. When it was about time to enroll in a university, I knew I wanted to go to the University of Calgary because they had a prestigious HCI field, uh, Human Computer Interactions Lab. Mm -hmm. So then I started my degree at the University of Calgary. I knew I wanted to focus on human computer interactions uh, because of Ehud Charlin. Yeah. I learned a lot about algorithms. And at a certain point in my degree, I actually hesitated uh, to pursue computer science. I wasn't sure if it was for me because I was getting straight A's. You know, as as a person who's grown into a society that's very achievement driven, not getting straight A's was very uh, kind of defeating. 
Yeah, of course, of course. And you were you the type to like typically get straight A's like you before university or quick question, uh, I, are you smart? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that that's a different story. Grades does not necessarily equate to to intelligence. Oh, yeah, of good. course, of yeah, course. Good, but yeah. but I was someone who put pride into a uh, high achievement. Of course, yeah. So yeah, not not getting an A it, it made me feel like this wasn't for me. Um, Interesting. And and I know a lot of women feel very intimidated by technology, by algorithms, by logic, uh, by math. And mm. this can also apply to to males as well. But for me, I felt the imposter syndrome was very much there. Even mm. though I, I studied computer science in high school, I knew the concepts, but I still wasn't applying it enough to the level that I felt really proud of. Mm -hmm. So I talked to the professor, it was two professors who were able to convince me to stay in computer science, uh, Maji Gaderi and Jalal Kawash. I've heard a lot of stories, especially women, um, they approach their professors and sometimes they say, maybe this isn't for you, which is Mm. really scary and demoralizing as as a young student. Yeah, of course. But I was super lucky. I approached them. I feel like I'm not succeeding in your course. Should I continue with computer science? Mm -hmm. And they both echoed similar sentiments. Look, don't let one course define you. Mm -hmm. Don't let this, this one moment in your life define what you should do for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. These prestigious, knowledgeable professors were encouraging me to continue. And so I did. And I, I did succeed. I, I figured out what I really liked. And it was uh, humans and people and understanding people's problems and design. And algorithms were, were great and important. Uh, and coding was fun. But at the end of the day, it was people and stories and solving people's problems that really inspired me day to day. Yeah. Wow. And it all started in grade nine with meeting uh, Dr. Ehud Charlin. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I can positively say that um, the, uh, the outreach that the computer science department did uh, defined who I am today. So hmm. it's so important to reach out to girls and boys early in their age. And that's why I believe computer science should be mandatory or at least offered in in every walks of education. hundred percent. Yeah. Fortunately, you were able to take it in high school. So that that's awesome. Um, actually to uh, tie it all together, um, you said you went into HCI, you know, in your undergrad, uh, did you get to work a lot with Dr. Ehud Charlin later in your like undergrad or? So I took a, the, the 481 human computer interaction course with him. Mm-hmm. which is amazing. I learned so much from him. And I was looking into uh, working at the Interactions Lab. And um. I thought human-robotic interactions was interesting. Uh, but I started um, getting exposure to Sheila Carpendale students. I remember a talk from one of her uh, PhD students. Yeah, uh, He got me interested in the field of data visualization. I actually specialized in uh, data visualizations as an undergraduate research assistant, really enjoyed doing that. 
Um, but supplementing my degree, I did a lot of different uh, roles to see what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, so I worked as a developer at a startup, front-end developer at a agency. And throughout that time, I was always asking why were the designs that I was given designed this way? Were the users involved? Do they even care about these designs? Yeah. I always ask, you know, the why when given something. So I took a pause and realized maybe development wasn't for me. It was enjoyable, but but it wasn't as meaningful as uh, the field of user experience design. Mm which I didn't really know what it was when I was studying human computer interactions mm -hmm. because I knew what usability was and I understood the value of human centered design, but I didn't know how to apply that in kind of the enterprise world. Mm -hmm. So I started working on uh, product design first at H and R block as their UX designer and okay. designed to improve their DIY tax software. Hmm. Uh, you'd be surprised at how uh, terrible, or maybe not, but but doing your taxes is not fun. <laughs> yeah, yep. And yeah. so uh, you're H&R Block and you're uh, redesigning their their software, tax software. So not redesigning, actually. Not redesigning. Um, I had, the, so their, their platform was already there. Yeah. I was there to improve different uh, tax forms and flows. Mm. Uh, but but yes, our, our mission was to redesign the DIY tax offer. Um, there, I learned what UX design was. I mm. learned how to collaborate with different people. I learned how to use my development skills uh, to create usable mm. and feasible software. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a great starting point in my yeah. UX design career. And then I graduated. So I, I wanted to look for another uh, position in UX design, mm -hmm. uh, but it was it was actually quite challenging to find a role uh, because a lot of these companies saw me as a, a developer who maybe knew about usability, but maybe didn't have any visual design skills For or sure. user interface skills. Yeah. So fortunately, I interviewed at H ATB Financial. Yeah. They yeah. uh, took me on as an intermediate product designer because they saw the value in being able to speak with developers. Because at the end of the day, there's no point in designing something if it's not feasible. Yeah, and that that's huge. Um, I think we've had a little bit of talks before about how you can have this crazy idea, but if you can't actually implement it, like it's useless. And then you, you would be one of the people who would actually be aware of, is this feasible? Yeah, I'd like to say my superpower is my multidisciplinary background. Yeah. Uh, and... I'm also very, very collaborative and always remembering that point in my career, whether I belonged in, in that field in computer science, mm -hmm. um, it, I carry that with me forward and make sure that everyone feels included and uh, all the voices are heard, uh, the users, the businesses, the team members, um, every single person. So yeah, inclusivity. I love it. I love it. And so how long were you at ATB for then? So it was a contract for about a year. Okay. And that was actually there where I was exposed to uh, the IBM IX2. Mm. At that point, we were actually redesigning the, the website. Uh, we were redesigning 
a whole platform for their business banking clients. That was awesome because you could think about the product holistically and you were also working with these really uh, collaborative and talented consultants, both knowledgeable in design and development. So I really enjoyed that and uh, decided at that point in my career, I wanted to build products from the ground up. And more often than not, you don't necessarily get exposure to that at a product company unless it's like a startup or you're very much a senior in your career. Mm-hmm. So again, I kind of pivoted and uh, went into consulting and here I am now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you've mentioned uh, UI UX at IBM. For people that don't know what UI and UX are, why don't you just really quickly <laughs> run us through what UI UX is and then also kind of like what you specifically do with IBM. Oh, those are two big ones. So <laughs> what is user experience and user interface design? So Don Norman coined this term when he was working at Apple, uh, user experience design. So it's really all about solving people's problems and designing solutions, making their experience positive. And for me, who really loved helping people and wanting to figure out how to solve people's problems, this is like perfect for me. So the term user experience is very, very broad, but really when you're creating a product or an experience or a service in a company, you're thinking about the end-to-end experience from before they reach your brand, trying to get exposed to your brand, to using your solutions, and to the end afterwards beyond support. Yeah. And so user experience is this really broad term, and it has a bunch of different fields within it. I mentioned I was a product designer at ATB, and you're thinking about the product holistically. And then user experience design is this subset of product design where you're really honed in on the end user's experience. And then user interface design is applying visual concepts and aesthetics and uh, linking how people perceive visuals um, and how they read things and applying to evoke emotions. I really like to use the analogy, take a restaurant and you're placing uh, different things on the table. So the user experience designer would say, okay, we're going to put centerpiece here. We're going to put the plates here and the forks on this side and the knives on this side. But then the user interface designer would come in and say, okay, we're going to have these colored tablecloths. We're going to think about the texture and the lighting and the sounds and the ambiance. And it's kind of just that extra layer on top. So being a UX and UI designer, you're thinking about that experience for the user holistically. Uh, You're not just thinking about the experience or you're not just thinking about the aesthetics and how you're evoking emotions, but you're thinking of everything holistically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can specialize, but uh, often, more often than not, these terms get really... uh, confused yeah and kind of interchanged or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah how how long have you been at ibm now so i joined in april 2019 and uh there i also got exposed to this new concept called experience strategy where even before you get a product before you start designing you think about the whole experience for the enterprise you think Mm. about their their long their short-term and long-term vision Right. You know, what's slated to really address their customers' problems. Um, And you can use different 
tools and technologies, and you come up with a lot of different digital solutions. So when someone comes to you and they say, we need a website or we need an app, you have to kind of step back Mm -hmm. and think about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is the problem you're actually solving? Yeah. And if that's trying to get people interested in your brand, that's not necessarily an app. That might be more marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool thinking about all these things holistically. Yeah, it's like, what is the purpose of creating your app or um, digital presence? Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's why I find computer science very interesting because you're really diving into creating a product, Mm -hmm. but you might not understand why. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, have you guys watched Silicon Valley? Yeah. Yeah, a couple episodes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Silicon Valley was great. It really poked fun at the tech world, mm-hmm. but it also really revealed why it was so important to have user-centered design uh, because they created this platform. Uh, they put it into beta and they invited like 49 engineers and one user Yeah, and all the engineers loved it because the algorithm was so fast, but the one user was like, what is this? This is, this is terrible. I would never use it. Yeah. And later in the series, spoilers alert, they had 500,000 installs, but only 19,000 active users, which is horrific. Yeah. And what? that's because this <laughs> this tool was was quite cumbersome and it was built for engineers, and that's because the engineers uh, never asked the people who would actually use the platform what uh, they would want to use the tool for. Yeah. What is their problem? <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. yeah. And, and getting that feedback is like one of the most important uh, kind of aspects for problem solving. If you know, you're trying to solve a problem, but you don't even really know what the problem is, like, how will you figure out what the problem is without talking to who you think has the problem in the first place and really confirming that this is the right problem that you have in mind instead of just making up the problem in your head. Exactly. And you find a lot when people start their careers that sometimes they they try to put a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> yep. So they try to think about the technology. They're like, mm. oh, blockchain is so cool. Chatbots are so cool. But what problem are you actually solving? Yeah. Um, to you know, maybe a chatbot would res- would solve one of the problems. Like everyone has so many questions and they can't find the information, and mm-hmm. a chatbot can just address your uh, questions right away. But if that isn't the the problem you're trying to solve, then who cares about these technologies? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. So, are you able to tell us? Because I'm I'm curious about you know a little bit more about your experience at IBM specifically and maybe about some of your projects. I'm not so sure how much you're able to go into detail with, with what you're, you know, kind of working on specifically, but I wanted to ask, uh, what do you think is the most kind of challenging experience you've had with working at IBM? One of the reasons I joined IBM was to learn different industries, working Mm. with different clients because I started working at companies that focused on specific subset of things. So uh, I I wouldn't be allowed to say like all the clients I work for, but it, uh, yeah. they vary f- from agriculture to oil and gas to mm. uh, governments and banking 
institution. Thanks. So sure. they, they range in, in Canada. Yeah. And it depends which city and uh, what, what the biggest markets are. I digress. So <laughs> the, cha- the biggest challenges I faced at IBM were the skills that I wasn't necessarily exposed to uh, school or early in my career, mm. which was really uh, being a consultant. It was managing your clients' expectations. And it's, it's really maintaining, growing, strengthening those relationships with your clients. And it's the soft skills that sometimes we may forget when we're really focused on growing our technical skills. And at the end of the day, no one will want to work with you if you're a very difficult person to work with. Very true. And having empathy is so important. It's not just applicable for user experience designers where we put the humans at the heart of our problem solving, but it's essential for your day-to-day it's essential for your interactions at work, in your personal life, and everywhere you go. Um, so the biggest challenge isn't being empathetic, but the biggest <laughs> challenge is trying to understand the other person's point of view so that you can really communicate to them where you're coming from and you're trying to understand where they're coming from and you're trying to meet in between and find this happy medium yeah that works for both parties no i totally love that and it's like one of the core things with any kind of problem solving you, you know you mentioned it whether you're in tech whether you're in literally anything else um customer service business yeah you could be the best most skilled person in your craft but if you can't communicate it if you can't share it or if you can't apply your craft to solving someone's problems then Sadly, your your craft will go to waste. Yeah, yeah. And sure, if it's a hobby or whatever, like, and you just enjoy it for yourself, like, that's great. But in terms of a career focus, like, yeah, you know, you, you want to be able to help other people and make an impact and not just have it, you know, be your own kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's really great. Um, and so maybe on the flip side of, you know, continuing on your experience here at IBM, what do you think was the most... Uh, rewarding experience um, or something that you've been most proud of in your time there at IBM? At IBM, I've learned a ton and I've met amazing people. These people are so willing to coach you, to mentor you, to really listen to you, Mm -hmm. uh, to socialize. And I've made a lot of genuine uh, friendships and uh, build these strong professional relationships. But one of the most rewarding projects that I've worked on uh, was with the government uh, during these times. Yeah, Um, yeah. So during the pandemic, one of the issues we face is how do we feel comfortable going into businesses and restaurants? Mm -hmm. You know, we continue talking about supporting local, but at the same time, this pandemic is happening. So one of the projects that I worked on, which felt very rewarding because it would directly impact people, is how do we help people feel more comfortable? Mm-hmm. In addition to that, uh, IBM does a lot of volunteering opportunities, and there are so many passionate and dedicated people at IBM that they would start their own initiative. So sustainability and climate crisis is a really important issue especially mm-hmm. during these times. And uh, these two individuals, Lucy and Layla, created Be Green Canada. 
which is a group that really focuses on uh, having conversations about sustainability and climate crisis mm-hmm. and these important issues. It's been really rewarding volunteering with them in these initiatives to expand IBMers' knowledge and people outside of IBM, uh, the importance of sustainability and climate crisis. So so there's a lot of rewarding things at IBM and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed my time so far. Yeah, no, and that, that's so interesting to think like people working in a company, you know, you get paid to work in this company, but, you know, you're continuing to go off and do things uh, that you're passionate about and may not get paid for, but, you know, this, this is important stuff and you just, you know, love it and uh, you're making an impact and like that, that is awesome. You said Lucy and Layla, it was, right? Yeah, Lucy and Layla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. No, that sounds, that's awesome that, you know, they've been able to do that. And uh, speaking about like other kind of extracurriculars or projects, we are aware you've also kind of been involved with um, some other organizations, uh, notably Chic Geek and uh, Ladies Learning Code. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes. um, So I do want to say that IBM also is great with diversity inclusion. They do a lot of amazing things around there. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I like to learn a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And with diversity and inclusion, I, I feel like I've, I've done a lot in that space. For sure. So Geek and Ladies Learn Code are very near and dear to my heart because as I was starting in my undergraduate degree and finding opportunities to contribute to society, mm-hmm. I was never really exposed to the issues of the gender disparity in tech. I grew up playing video games, so I kind of had that mentality of, oh my goodness, I'm the only girl. That's so cool. (laughs) Which is super, super warped and weird. But Mm -hmm. I started hearing women's stories of feeling alone and that they couldn't see role models in tech and in computer science because the field is male-dominated. Yeah, 100%. And it made me rethink this whole gender disparity thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of saying, oh, this is fine. I'm the only girl. I sh- really should be asking, why aren't there more girls? Yeah, 100%. And so the founder of She Geek, Kylie Woods, she also felt that's the same. She felt alone trying to learn how to code mm-hmm. and trying to get into this tech space. Uh, and so she wanted to create a community to encourage women to learn and feel that it's okay to not know the newest tech stack is or, or coding. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Do you think that these are issues that we should be addressing kind of younger? Uh, you know, we we're talking high school, uh, you know, grade nine. Do you, do you think that maybe we should be introducing, you know, computer science to younger grade, you know, two, three, like, is that, is that where you think we can start to see maybe more of a long-term change in terms of just the, just the general, like feel you think computer science, you think male dominant. Um, do you think it would help if we introduced it to everyone at a very, at a, at a younger age? Absolutely. You, you said it perfectly. I believe these initiatives like Canada to Learning Coding so it started as Ladies Learn Coding and it's become Canada Learning Coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hour of Code um, and all of these amazing initiatives really introduces fundamental concepts that everyone should know at a young age. I want the world to be at a point where when they say, I want to be this when I grow up, instead of just saying, 
teacher or doctor, uh, they can say, you know, it's someone in technology, a technologist, a coder, a designer. Yeah. Society's kind of trending that way, and we have so many problems where design and technology and coding、uh, will will solve people's problems,、um, and and not just allow them to be content consumers or technology users, but creators and makers.、Uh, because how else are we going to solve、uh, today's Problems if we don't apply these important concepts. Yeah, and you know we we have been on this kind of this conversation of like problem solving and kind of you know using,、um, you know even user experience right to to solving problems and how important that is. How do you think? You know, we we just discussed the younger kids, right? You know, you get them get them hooked on it when they're you know grade two, grade three, right? But for people now, like at, at mid twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, you know,、yeah. how do you? Think we can use kind of their feedback. Like, how how do you reach out to these people and be like, hey, you're not alone, right?、Mm-hmm. I've had similar experiences.、Um, is it a resource? Is it like a like a course? Like, how do you see help for these kinds of people in these situations? I I think awareness is is key. Like for me, I had no idea computer science existed until I went to the Explore IT、uh, yeah. conference. So it's really about exposure at any age and. The stereotype of older generations not understanding technology. Well, well, maybe instead of making fun of them, let's try to understand where they're coming from. They never grew up with technology. They came from an analog world, so of course,、uh, the new technology is very foreign to them. So, really, to address this problem, I think it's about exposure. First, you have to let them know that this exists:、uh, technology,、uh, coding, designing. Uh, these are fields that you can learn and explore, and there's so many resources involved.、Mm-hmm. And then、uh, reaching out to community and a network, feeling like you're not alone.、Uh, for me, I don't know if I would have pursued computer science if my friend hadn't、uh, offered to take it with me in high school.、Mm-hmm. It was it was a cool concept, but I don't know. I didn't want to do something alone.、Yeah. I wanted to to be in classes with my friends. So you need the community and the network aspect. And then after that,、uh, you would supplement it with with the knowledge. You you need、uh, easy to understand concepts so that people don't feel so overwhelmed. And often in computer science, some people that's their first exposure to coding, and that can be very very intimidating. And so there's so many resources online like Code Academy, you know, Stack Overflow,、uh, and just asking people questions in a human way and having. Human respond to you in a very empathetic way is very encouraging. Yeah, and maybe that's also where you know the importance of you know your kind of organizations there, Chic Geek, and、uh, you said Ladies Learning to Code is under a different name now. Yeah, they've expanded to Canada Learning Code.、Uh, okay, they、awesome. started、yeah. with Ladies Learning Code, and then they <laughs> Kids Learning Code, Teens Learning Code, now Teachers Learning Code, and they just put it all in、it's、a big umbrella. Canada, Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe that's where you know. Still, like their their importance of organizations like that to be able to kind of spread that awareness that you're talking about, right? Of like, you know, this is a issue.、Um, we need to voice it, and like, really showcasing that is is super super important.、Um, speaking of that, actually, what advice would you give to maybe any of the young women listening to this podcast? You know, maybe some of them are learning computer science or. Are wanting to go into it.、Um, what advice would you give to these these young women? In- actually, young women is 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 a great audience for sure, hundred percent. But I actually think that we should 
address it to all women. All women in tech, yeah. So the advice that I have women in tech who are pursuing it is don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to be curious. I know it sounds really, really scary, Mm -hmm. but just ask that one question. 90% of the time, people will help and be there. For me, when I started my degree, I sat at the front row of my course and eventually saw familiar faces, but never introduced myself because, oh my gosh, that's so scary. (laughs) At one point, I just started asking, I am so confused. I don't get what this professor is talking about. And the person next to me started explaining. Then we became really close friends. So you never know what will happen if you just ask a question and know that you will not be the only person asking that question. I felt like that weird, annoying person raising their hand, asking so many questions. But at the end of those uh, classes, some people would come up and say, thanks for asking that question. I had the same question. I just didn't. I was just too nervous to ask. So it's easier said than done. I know it's super nerve wracking, but at the end of the day, you're there to learn. And over time, you'll, you'll be able to feel more confident with yourself and also know that you'll hear imposter syndrome a lot but uh, I was told that imposter syndrome will come in ebbs and flows and it'll always exist and it's not like something you can just solve right away so be comfortable with the uncomfortable it's again very scary and for me it's still something I'm learning and adjusting to but at the end of the day this whole world is adapting Our cultures adapt. People adapt. There's these new trends that I don't even understand from TikTok, but (laughs) like that, that's society. That's the world. You just have to roll with the punches. Yeah. Mm. For people that are currently experiencing, I like to call it the corporate bully. So like a manager or maybe someone above you that is, you know, going out of their way to be like, nope, like you are, you're meant to not be here, especially, you know, for a lot of women in the, uh, in the industry, unfortunately, they do suffer from you know, not only the pay gap that we have all been, you know, brought aware of, but even just like, you know, you're not meant to be here. Right. And just, and it might not even be like something that a manager might be even aware of maybe, maybe they're doing it subconsciously. How would you kind of go about, you know, addressing that and, you know, what steps would you kind of take maybe to overcome that? Yes. Um, And I think this advice also would apply to anyone who feels a bit more reserved and not as confident in being who they are. It's very easy for others to overlook them or to put them in a box. And it's the most discouraging thing if someone consciously or subconsciously tells you that you don't belong or this isn't what you should do. I would say if it's something that you are really truly passionate about, again, easier said than done, but like disregard the discouragers and let that be a moment where you can prove them wrong and really have this attitude of oh yeah you think so well i'll prove you wrong yeah chip on your shoulder (laughs) (laughs) exactly but it's again easier said than done to have this Mm -hmm. this kind of confidence so Mm -hmm. if that does happen to you it's really important to speak out Mm -hmm. now you have to do that delicately because there can be so many politics involved so i think it's really important to have your core uh, group of support um so whether that's your friends your family uh really share that uh what is happening with you if someone in who you really trust asks how are you doing 
don't just say, oh yeah, things are okay. Really deep dive into saying, hey, I was in this meeting and someone talked over me or someone said this and I interpreted it this way. Is this okay? Am I interpreting this correctly? And similar to the, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions, usually you won't be the only one who feels like if someone said something that was very demeaning, that you're the only one interpreting it that way. Now, the second part of that is the person might not be aware that they're demeaning. So it depends how much you trust the relationship. You can expose them to how uncomfortable their statement made you feel. Um, hey, in the last meeting, you you talked over me. I just want you to be aware that when you talk over me, it makes me feel like my voice isn't heard and is not important. Mm. Usually they'll be aware of that. And if it repeats, then then it's another conversation. Mm. Um, but if if it's one off, like people generally don't like to receive feedback. But when you come at it in a, a neutral position and Maybe you ask the other person if they're ready to hear the feedback mm -hmm. or have any sort of feedback that can help. I have heard situations where some managers just don't really care about the person. And so mm -hmm. at that point, sometimes you have to think, uh, okay, who are your allies at work? Who are your allies outside of work? Um, and how can you communicate that? And if it's still not working, then you know, you might have to think of finding another manager or having other conversations. And that's why being empathetic, building relationships, being personable is so important because at the end of the day, um, it's all about relationships. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, back to the earlier conversation of, you know, empathy, everything's about people. It's not just uh, user interaction at this point, but even um, your interactions with your coworkers, your the people that should be on your team, on your side, uh, you know, and that that's so huge, and it all kind of kind of comes together nicely, I think. Um, at least uh, from what I'm getting here, you know, everything just even though you're all about tech, like everything really relates to people, and that 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 is awesome to hear. I also just want to thank you for answering my very hard question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a just... really good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do want to emphasize that anyone can get into tech. A lot of people ask me, how did they get into design as well? And I find anyone can get into design as well, because at the end of the day, you're really just solving problems. If you're passionate about that, then really you can come from anywhere. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so we talked about a lot of really great things today. Um, I'm just curious, kind of going into the takeaways of everything that we talked about, what would you like to say to kind of wrap up everything that we've talked about today? First, I want to say uh, the women tech problem should not be just women solving these problems. Yeah. We have to have everyone solving these problems because we can't just be in our little bubble doing our, our great work without support from everyone else. Mm -hmm. The second thing is a lot of this advice applies to anyone, not just women, but as you've mentioned, women trend towards not being able to uh, speak out for themselves or share their achievements. So it's really, really important to uh, find people you trust and communicate frequently and don't be shy. Um, it's so important to have peers, mentors, coaches, and someone you can just 
talk to about your problems um, and and try to try to problem solve. Um, although you know ranting can can be nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's important to know that sometimes in the enterprise world, in the working world, it's easy to let yourself uh, sit in the background or or stand uh, next to the wall. And I'd say each of you have has your own strength. Identify the strengths and play those up. For me, I've learned that I'm more of a personable leader versus maybe a uh, analytical leader. And each situation calls for different types of leadership. So really being able to identify those is, is important. And as you get into your career uh, or as you graduate, be thoughtful about who you are and what you want to be as a person. That's awesome. Thank you for all the, the great advice because all really good takeaways. Um, if people want to learn more about you, what you're up to or your work, where can they go? If anyone has any further questions or wants to reach out, I'm available on LinkedIn. Please don't be shy. Uh, I will do my best to respond. Yeah, I'm also out there in the online space, but really LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much uh, again, Carrie, for coming on the show. Really, really enjoyed the conversation and um, learning everything IBM and uh, women in tech. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on Instagram at UFC underscore CPSC for more computer science content. If you have any questions or want to suggest future episode topics, you can also visit anchor.fm slash what the tech dash you Calgary. There, you can leave us a voice message with your questions for a chance to get featured in future episodes. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for another episode of What the Tech.